Hey marketers, if you want to get the latest news, trends, and insights in marketing, advertising, and tech, check out the Adweek Podcast Network. Learn from leading voices across media and marketing with original shows like Yeah, That's Probably an Ad, Marketing Vanguard, and Tech Magic with Kathy Hackle. Start listening now by searching Adweek wherever you listen to podcasts. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey there, are you ready to elevate your personal brand or company? Meet Viral Growth, your one-stop shop for video content and audience building. Imagine growing your brand organically on social media without the hassle of editing videos for hours. With Viral Growth, it's a breeze. They handle the brainstorming, scripting, and editing while you simply just hit record. And don't worry about your niche. They cater to everyone, from business and marketing to health and wellness. Are you ready to make waves in the social media realm? Visit viralgrowth.io and use code ADWEEK, that's A-D-W-E-E-K, all lowercase, and get 10% off your plan. Welcome to the Business of Marketing, brought to you by Adweek and SAP. The Business of Marketing is where you get to hear from business leaders and innovators on how CMOs work collaboratively with their C-suite partners to drive business transformation. So, For anyone who is a CMO or aspiring to join the C-suite, this podcast will provide you with a deep dive into how to create cross-functional teams, establish clear internal communications, invest in customer centricity, drive technology innovation, and develop talent for the future. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoy the show and have a wonderful day. Welcome to this week's episode of The Business of Marketing. I'm Toby Daniels, Chief Innovation Officer here at Adweek. On today's show, we're talking burgers and shakes with the Chief Marketing Officer of Shake Shack, Jay Livingston. Jay was formerly the CMO of Bark, the pet food delivery company. And prior to that, he was the SVP of Global Marketing at Bank of America. His story and the journey that brought him from a career in consumer banking to the CMO of one of the most iconic fast casual restaurants in America is so incredibly compelling. We'll dig into Jay's story on the podcast and learn about the ways that Shake Shack with its 300 locations around the world has not only survived the pandemic, but thrived by adding more than 2 million customers to its mobile app experience over the past year. 
For those unfamiliar, Shake Shack is a modern-day roadside burger stand known for its 100% all-natural Angus beef burgers, chicken sandwiches, crinkle-cut fries, craft beer and wine, and much, much more. Their mission is to stand for something good, from its premium ingredients and caring hiring practices to its inspiring designs and deep community investment. This mission has been fundamental to the business during the pandemic as they have had to lean heavily into their core values to ensure that they were able to stay afloat, keep their staff and their customers safe, while also still delivering a world-class experience. I can't wait for you to hear Jay and Shake Shack's story. Enjoy the show. Jay, thanks so much for joining. Toby, great to be here. All right, so I am excited to have you on the Business of Marketing for a couple of reasons. One, uh, because we're friends and it's been a while since we caught up. And two, I'm a huge fan of Shake Shack. And I believe that your story, especially given what you've experienced as a business in the past year, is one that our listeners will be fascinated to hear. So let's start with the present and get a sense of where the business is at today and talk about some of the recent announcements that you guys have uh, come out with. But then I'd also like to go back and help our listeners also understand a little bit of your journey and the path that brought you to your role at Shake Shack. Sounds good? Sounds great. Awesome. So it's been about 12 months, I think almost to the day since New York City went into lockdown, right? So restaurants, bars, businesses, they all closed their doors and entered into a period which I like to call the great unknown. And at the time, we were facing epic levels of disruption pretty much across the board. And without much in the way of information or guidance that would help us as individuals and also as businesses plan and predict when things would return to normal, it was also a pretty confusing time. So for our listeners, just describe that period for you at Shake Shack. Walk us through the experience. And I think what I'm particularly interested to hear about are those early conversations between you and the rest of the team, how you worked through your priorities and your plans to ensure that the business was impacted in the least damaging way possible? Well, it was as crazy as you might imagine for a restaurant company headquartered in New York City. And it was crazy on a couple of levels. One was obviously the business side. And then I think, especially looking back, for all of us on a personal side and trying to combine those two things because lots of things were happening that impacted both ends of that spectrum. Most of these kind of situations are something that might impact your business or might impact your personal life, but it's rare where you have one that you are both trying to keep a business afloat and you're concerned about your own safety and the safety of your loved ones. So that made it a very unusual situation. One quick funny aside, when I was at Bank from actually when I interviewed with Danny Meyer for this position, who's chairman of our board, the second interview, he asked me, how do you handle pressure and stressful situations? <laughs> and I said, listen, uh, my first day in New York City at Bank of America was the day that Lehman Brothers went under and the start of the financial crisis. And if you can work in marketing at Bank of America during the financial crisis, I'm never going to see anything to that level. So I think I'll be okay. 
I, I later joked with him that that may have been a little bit presumptuous of me because I think this did beat it for the overall like impactfulness of that. But I would say when it hit, it was our sales basically dropped by 85% within a week. We immediately had teammates and um, guests that were concerned about their safety. They were concerned about their jobs. We went into a mode of conserving cash because we were obviously running through so much cash so quickly. We had to furlough a numerous amount of people, but we also were trying to keep our shacks open and be sensitive to the safety of the leaders and the workers in the shacks through that period. So I would say how we adapted was staying very tight as a leadership team. We implemented meetings where we were basically meeting with each other every morning. We were also meeting with our own teams within the company almost every day. We were quickly trying to adapt to what it's like working from home. We've got a great office in the West Village. We were very focused on being here together. So that was a new process for us. And then, of course, communicating with our guests and trying to maintain that we're still open and we've got new ways for you to get Shake Shack. And that meant ex uh, really expanding our digital capabilities, pick up. We dropped exclusive relationship with one delivery partner and basically went to all the delivery partners, Postmates, Caviar, DoorDash, Uber Eats, and Grub, and then numerous changes from there on the digital side. So all a crazy experience and very quick adoption in the beginning, and then later slower adoption of some of these longer term trends that COVID sort of drove. You know, as you're coming together as a leadership team and you're starting to look at the specific ways in which, you know, the pandemic was going to impact the business. And obviously, preserving cash is obviously going to be top of mind, thinking about your team, thinking about your staff, keeping people safe. What were some of the unexpected ways, either initially or over the sort of the next few months, that Shake Shack's business was affected? I would say the unexpected ways revolved around the unknown, because people forget even now, they're kind of forgetting on a week-to-week -week basis, we really didn't know what was going to happen in the next week. Was this going to get worse? Was it overrated? Some of the predictions early were like, oh, we'll be back to normal in two months or in three months. And then there are other predictions of this could um, be a Spanish flu level loss of life across all of us and our loved ones. And so that was what was a constant battle, was dealing with that unknown and trying to be reactive to it. I think we saw that putting in really consistent and aggressive communications with our teams was the biggest thing that was the most important. And just being very radically candid about what was happening, how we were dealing with it, and what we were going to do from there. So what I think we also saw from a long-term perspective was this was going to change our business model. It was not going to just be an evolution of digital. It went from being 85% of our sales were in shack to 85% of our sales were digital in a two-week period. So when we had invested in our website and our app, those had been nice side projects that drove 15% of the business along with delivery. That suddenly became the business. So we quickly spun up investment in digital. I also oversee all the digital experience for the company. We hired a couple of great people to come in quickly and help us build out and take that to another level. We started thinking much more about our pickup experience at the shacks and putting things in place like curbside, where we have it 
almost half of our shacks domestically now where you can do curbside pickup. We launched the beginnings of delivery as a service, which meant delivery coming straight from the Shack app as opposed to going through a DSP. And that launched last week after nine months of basically preparation work. So there were so many things we put in place that we knew we wanted to do eventually, but it really sped right. them up significantly. Well, I want to pretty much unpack all of that over the course of, of this conversation. Before we do, though, I, I sort of I want to get your thoughts on, on something that I've talked to a few people about. I mean, when we look back, it feels to me like this last year has been punctuated by moments that have presented us with some of the greatest challenges that we've ever experienced in our professional and personal lives, but also on the slightly more positive side, some of the most exciting opportunities. In, in what ways does that resonate with you? Well, on the digital side, we've added 2 million new app users in the last year. That was a number that we never thought we would, we thought it would take years to get to that or even needed to get to that. So the digital side was especially a big part of it. It also made us realize that like politics, all marketing is local. And we are best when we are a local business within your neighborhood. And we don't franchise because of that. All of the Shake Shacks domestically are owned and we wanna be a part of those neighborhoods. We wanna use ingredients from local chefs, local providers. It's very important to us that people say, hey, it's my Shake Shack, not just there's a Shake Shack there. And so putting a lot of things in place to continue to push that, we've really stayed heavy on. Sourcing locally, we've launched several chef collab series. We've got one going right now that's called Now Serving, that it's chefs all over the country, many from diverse backgrounds that we do collabs with in local shacks and they serve their, whatever their specialties are by working with our chefs in those shacks. So I would say there were the big things as far as the digital side, but there were also sort of the small things on the brand side that were very important to us. I want to spend a little bit more time just on that point, because I just think it's such an important one. I've interviewed senior leaders at El Pollo Loco, at McDonald's, at Postmates, and there's been a kind of a consistent sort of message or uh, some consistent commentary, I suppose, around this moment with regards to local or localization or with regards to the fact that pandemic has enabled you to actually form a closer connection with your customers. I, mean, I remember when you spoke at Social Media Week a couple of years ago, you were talking about your investments into digital and, and how digital can sort of drive the customer experience. But like three years on pandemic, talk about your relationship with the customer now versus before. Well, what we've tried to keep thinking about at all times is how do we take in light hospitality that was really designed for an in-person experience and translate that into a digital experience. So one of the things that, that I've really focused us on is creating uplifting experiences for guests. It's not enough just to deliver great food. We know our food is better, frankly, that we have better ingredients that when you're there in a Shake Shack and it's hot and warm or the shakes are cold, it tastes fantastic and that it's an uplifting experience. How do we create that in the digital world? Now, I'll give you one example of how we weren't set up for that, which was enlightened hospitality has really been something where if you get an order in the shack and you take your tray away from our expo and you don't have all the right sauces there, or we left off the fries, Shake Shack was very well known and is very well known. You just walk up, no questions asked. And they say, of course, we'll make you a shake. We'll make you fries. We'll give you these sauces. 
But then when you get your meal outside a window and you walk away with it, you don't open it till you get home or it's in delivery. Now two things matter that we never really had to think about before. One was order accuracy. So if that, act, if that order wasn't accurate, that's a real problem at home, which it really wasn't in, in the shack. And then secondly, this is nothing new. Burgers and fries and shakes don't travel well together as well as pizza and other things do. Especially, we've never had to worry about the packaging. We've never had to worry about the timing of these kind of things. So it really focused us there to try to solve for those problems. Our hospitality team, which we renamed as our customer support team, they weren't staffed up to deal with all the issues that you typically get for an 85% in-shack dining experience. There aren't that many issues that you need to call someone. Suddenly, we really had to build out that team and give them a lot more tools to help answer questions and deal with problems from guests. So all those things are still ongoing. We put in so many things to try to increase or to actually we're in uh, the middle of a huge packaging redesign to try to make sure the packaging keeps our burgers warm our, and keeps the shakes cold and also keeps them a little separate while at the same time being very sustainable and helping operations. So all those little things in the restaurant business we've really focused on because the reality is while we're never gonna be at 85% digital again, I hope, we may not ever drop below 45 or 50%. And so that's a, a new business model. It's just not, it, it's not just iterating what we do. I think it's a data point that like we'll come back to and, and even benchmark against similar sort of businesses to see kind of what the post-pandemic world really looks like in terms of service delivery, right? Uh, one, one of the things you mentioned, so the, you know, this podcast is very much looking at, and, and also to a certain extent, elevating the function of marketing in terms of looking at how marketing drives business transformation. And I'm curious because you just brought this up. Obviously, you are the chief marketing officer, but digital also kind of falls under your remit. Why is that? Why do you think that's so important? Well, one is two things that aren't within a typical CMO's role fall within my remit. One is the digital experience. And then secondly is culinary strategy. So the reason for the two of those things is one is I've always really had this philosophy. If I'm going to market something, I really want to have a significant amount of control of what I'm marketing of that product experience, right? And so menu in this case is what we sell and market. And, and I talk a lot about building marketing into the product. I don't ever wanna be handed something and then say, go figure out how to sell this. I wanna be involved a voice from the beginning so that we can develop a story, build marketing into that product. So by the time it comes to selling it, it actually sells itself. So that's the culinary strategy side. Um, on the digital experience side, I believe, the same thing. Owning that experience is important. While our operations team always sort of owns the touch point with the guest, so I don't presume to say I own that experience, but on the digital experience, we really want to make sure we are creating an experience for the guest that aligns with our values and our culture and everything we do. And that digital touch point just feels right to be within the marketing side. We obviously work with our IT partners, again, ops partners on all these things, but we are very close to the guests. We talk to them all the time. We gather data and research about how they do. Our guest experience index is managed from our team. So that's a place we want to create a circle and build that all into that digital guest experience. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about 
work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey there, podcast fam. Are you ready to break free from the social media rut? Hold on to your hatch because we've got just a thing for you. Meet Viral Growth, your one-stop shop for leveling up your online presence. Whether you're a personal brand or a company, they've got the tools and know-how to take you to the next level. With Viral Growth, forget about those endless hours of video editing. They handle everything from brainstorming to polishing your content so you can just focus on being awesome. And guess what? We're hooking you up with a sweet deal. Use code ADWEEK for 10% off when you sign up. Ready to take your social media game to the next level? Head on over to viralgrowth.io and let's turn those digital dreams into a reality. So I've interviewed a significant number of senior leaders over the course of the past year, and we've written about COVID's impact on business and brands pretty extensively. And there are a couple of things that have really stood out to me from these conversations. Having the resources and the infrastructure to respond to a crisis like COVID is one thing, but oftentimes leadership, and in particular, leaders who show great empathy for their customers and staff, and leaders who show vulnerability in times of uncertainty seem to have come through this moment better than others. Was, was this an important factor for you and the broader Shake Shack leadership team? And where does it come from if it is? If you've read Setting the Table from Danny Meyer and then Randy Garuti, our, our CEO, who is basically a, another founder, he's been with the company so long and from our origins, they are emotional leaders. They lead with emotion and empathy first. As a matter of fact, I got some funny advice. I had been here like three weeks and somebody said to me, on the Myers-Briggs, Jay, you're the only T on the executive team, the hard thinker. And I was realizing as I was making arguments to the executive team to try to persuade them to do things with my very sort of logical thinking cap on, I realized how important that knowledge was because everybody else was actually a strong E, right? They were emotional leaders. And that's kind of the opposite. Usually your marketing guy is the emotional person or your marketing woman. And uh, a lot of the rest of the team are sort of the thinkers. So that was interesting. And I think it's been a really powerful combination. I think Randy and the rest of our executive team does lead with empathy and with emotion. And restaurants, when they work well, are a purpose-driven business. They're all about the love of feeding people. It's part of what made COVID so hard because we separated the guest and that experience of, oh, this food is so good from our folks that were normally watching that experience happen from the kitchen. And now they're faceless and the guest is faceless. And that's been a real challenge, but part of our leadership team's success during this has been that we stayed out in the shacks, we stayed close to them, and we really tried to empathize, focus on our teammates first to get us through this period. 
Right, let's spend some time unpacking a few of the newer programs and initiatives that you referenced a little bit earlier. Some of the things that you've introduced over the course of, of this last year, and, and also programs you've launched fairly recently that have been, as you, you mentioned, designed to transform the customer experience and presumably in turn, transform and impact the business. Let's start with with how you're innovating around the customer's experience and the investments you've made into digital and the services and talk about specifically the upgrades you've made to the Shake Shack app and the new delivery services that you recently announced in partnership with Uber Eats. On the app, a couple of things going on. One is we launched something called Shack Track, which is basically your ability to more quickly order and then pick up and fulfill on that order with Shake Shack. So it's a consistent path of directions and communications to the guest that guides them along the way, all the way to the pickup shelves or the pickup windows at the Shack. That's a big place we really focused on. As you know, we launched a new app. We refined it dramatically every step of the way. And then of course we launched delivery from the app last week. We've also launched two new formats that came very quickly. One is curbside pickup that I mentioned earlier, which has been very popular. And then we've been developing drive-throughs, which we'd never thought we would do since the very beginning of COVID. And those drive-throughs will launch next year. Mm-hmm. So we're very excited about that new format. Also what's coming, a new website for us and web ordering, which is still quite popular, new payment app options with Apple Pay and lots of things that are being implemented there. And then a lot of personalization that has happened so that we just know you better on the app so that we can deliver a better experience, the right product at the right time, at the right price for you. And that'll all build into a big thing for us, which will be a loyalty program towards the end of this year that we will launch. So lots of moving parts there. Talk a little bit more, if you can, about the personalization piece. And and the reason I ask is it's just such a hot topic at the moment, a a very hotly debated topic, if I'm honest, with people falling on kind of sort of both sides of an argument as to whether it's a a good thing uh, for the customer experience or not. Talk about what personalization means for Shake Shack and for the Shake Shack customer. At a base level, it's knowing your name. It's knowing your birthday. It's knowing what you've ordered before and where you've ordered it and where you are currently. So we can at least say when you come visit us on the app, oh, hey, Ron, we know exactly what you like to order because it looks like these last five things. So we're going to recommend, you know, if you've ordered five different shakes in your last five orders, be really nice to recommend our new featured shake that's coming out this week. It's also knowing from a geo-targeting standpoint where you are, where's the closest shack, what's going to create the best delivery experience for you or pickup experience for you. Because as you know, some shacks might turn off delivery or pickup if they're really surging somewhere. We want to make sure that we balance that, we get you to the, the closest place possible. Now, at some point, we'll start to recognize, even be more predictive about when you might want to visit us or what kinds of new foods you might be interested in trying and give you digital only promotions, these types of things. And then of course, add a loyalty component. That could look something like a subscription service that kind of is a great thing for the more habitual guest that is there all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, it could be access to experiences that only Shake Shack has. So we know we've got these crazy passionate fans that are huge foodies and they're fascinated by our innovation kitchen, which is downstairs in the West Village. We develop products. 
we'll bring you in and let you watch our chefs actually work on the next hot food item that we're putting out or the next collab we're going to do or lots of our experiences that we've done around the country. So giving access to those big fans, that's a personalized experience as well. And it's something we're, we're talking about a lot. I would love for you guys to do like a, a partnership or integration with like Netflix to like net when Netflix like recommends the next show, it also recommends like a Shake Shack burger to me at the same time. And then like just delivers it in time for when the show starts. You can have that as a free idea, Jay. Uh, right, idea. Let's, <laughs> um, so you, you, you mentioned earlier, like how COVID has been an accelerant, right? For digital sort of innovation or transformation. I'm, I'm sort of interested to know what were some of the big ideas that you guys were, I mean, you mentioned that obviously you've got to 2 million customers now using the app and presumably that as you referenced before is, has been an accelerant, right? But what are the other big things you were working on that were perhaps two to three years off, but are now a more near-term reality? Almost all of those things I said were farther off on our digital roadmap. So those got accelerated quite a bit. I mean, drive-throughs were a big one. It's something that we thought long-term was interesting for us, but building a whole new restaurant around drive-through and around, you know, we cook everything from scratch. There's there's no microwaves in the shack. Our ingredients require us to really cook things. So a drive-through is particularly tricky for us, mm -hmm. getting that experience right. And it's going to take a little bit longer, but it's an important format that guests really want from us. And so figuring out how to build that exactly is a combination of digital and physical, right? If you have two separate make lines within the kitchen, for instance, for a drive-through, we go that route do we have ordering up front so that by the time you get to the shack you've actually already put in your order and then of course how do we just keep that moving very quickly so all those pieces were in response to that that were really sped up we've also continued to think about um, that actual experience within the app for every single step of the way how do we continue to streamline it make it more attractive, make it more interesting, and make it someplace that you'd rather go than a delivery provider, frankly. Let's pivot a little bit and talk about you, your career, and the path that brought you to Shake Shack in the first place. So we met, I believe, just as you had stepped down from your very senior role as the SVP of Global Marketing for Bank of America. Talk us through the decision to leave in the first place and, and what you are really sort of looking to embark towards in regards to the next chapter of your career. You know, it's interesting. I mentioned the financial crisis at Bank of America. And during that time, we had acquired Merrill Lynch and Countrywide and became this huge, massive aircraft carrier company. And I just loved my experience. It started at Nations Bank and later we acquired Bank of America. During my career, there was fantastic. But one of the things I loved about it is we were such a growth-oriented company. I mean, we bought about 450 financial institutions while I was there. We were growing rapidly. Places like New York City, where we basically grew organically from scratch, that was a super exciting thing to be a part of. After the financial crisis, for me, things got a little slower. It ended up being a much bigger corporate job that it was harder to sort of aggressively move us in different directions. At the same time, I'd fall in with a group, a lot of friends that you know, of investors and entrepreneurs of startups. And I was really fascinated by those growth stories. And most companies in New York are started by folks, most startups are started by folks with tech or finance backgrounds. 
But if they're a consumer facing business, they're a marketing company six months in, whether they like it or not. Yep. And a lot of these folks I met just didn't know marketing people. They didn't travel in the same circle circles. So they asked me to, hey, would you look at this company and give me your perspective? Would you advise me on this piece? And then I started investing in some of those businesses. And I just was having so much fun being close to that growth story again. I said, you know, I'm going to actually retire from Bank of America. I'm going to take a year and a half, two years, do a lot of things I wanted to do, travel the world. I wanted to learn to play guitar. I wanted to renovate an old loft in the West Village. I wanted to um, help start a third political effort that's now called Unite America and spend some time with my family. And so I did that. And at the same time, I was investing and advising a little bit on the side. And I said, I really think I want to be a CMO back at one of these growth-oriented companies. I met the guys at BarkBox who I'd known through some of those friends. And we started talking, they were looking to hire their first CMO and it just felt like a great fit for me. And it really met the criteria of what I was looking for, which is a consumer facing business that makes a physical product that brings people joy. And Bark really fit that bill. I had a great time there and we did some awesome things over that uh, year and a half. And then I had met a couple of folks from Shake Shack. I'd always thought it was an amazing brand. It was a worldwide passion brand for so many people. And I'd seen Danny Meyer speak a few years prior and it really moved me. And so they reached out and we ended up having a conversation. I really hit it off with the leadership team here and became their first CMO and have had a great experience for the last two years. I want to go back to Bark for a second because I just so vividly remember like our conversations at that time as you were even just looking closely at and even considering that opportunity or it was like early on I think after you just joined the company and it was a relatively small company but going through just extraordinary like explosive growth and I remember at the time actually going even going back a little bit to South by Southwest it probably was a couple of years ago and I met Henrik the founder and kind of the genius behind Bark and he pitched me these he pitched me two ideas one was basically a Tinder for dogs, but the idea was you simply, if you wanted to adopt a dog from a rescue home in New York City, you would simply swipe left or right on which dog you would want to adopt. So he pitched me that idea. And then he also pitched me Bark, which at the time just felt like a derivative to Groupon, right? I was just like, ah, look, another Groupon idea will never work. You should totally do the, the <laughs> Tinder for dogs idea because I think that's like awesome. And obviously, you know, that's why I'm not, uh, a particularly successful startup entrepreneur, and he is. But obviously, the Bark story has been phenomenal. They've obviously IPO'd, and they're having a ton of success, which is obviously great. I want to sort of just go back for a second and, again, just talk about the some of the decision-making, right? Because as you come out of the corporate world, you're sort of dipping your toe into kind of the early-stage startup world in, in New York City. You, you definitely feel like there's a, a contribution you can make to that ecosystem, particularly with the expertise that you bring to it. What, what do you think in those early stages that these businesses struggle with the most? And for any, because we have an, an audience of like CMOs and C-suite leaders and people also who both aspire to be in the C-suite, but also who aspire to start their own companies. You know, what advice do you have for these early stage founders, um, in particular in terms of how they should be thinking about building the function of marketing into the business and product much earlier than perhaps they, they currently are? Well, just to step back for one second, Henrik and Matt Meeker and Carly are all brilliant. And one of the things that I really learned from them is 
I believe Henrik tried both of those things, right? And, and they are very much not afraid to try. One of the right. things you realize is you just don't know what's going to work. And you've got to be so flexible to pivot with whatever idea and opportunity is taking off and resonating, right? That you're getting that product market fit and be willing to drop some of the things that, that don't work. I mean, one of the things that they also start a media business around dogs early on and it turns out media businesses are really hard, but the muscle memory they learned from doing that fed into a, building a massive organic audience that really helped propel Bark and also gave them a lot of expertise in paid social, which was somewhat of a new space. And interestingly, the only space I really hadn't had experience with in my career, which was significant paid social classic growth and performance marketing. So that was a great place for me to learn, but they learned their way into that and built an in-house agency that handled all that. And it really gave them a huge advantage. So having that flexibility to sort of go where the guests or the customer in that case, or the dog in their case is wanting to go. And then when you find the magic, you really pour it on. That's a huge part of it. No, definitely. I remember that. I think they even started like a dog influencer agency as well. And they were like representing some of the most popular influencer dogs uh, in the world. Uh, and that's not even a joke. That's actually something that they did. And I don't know whether they continue to or not, but celebrity in- dogs. Yeah. <laughs> there were a yeah. lot of celebrity dogs they helped launch. Uh, definitely. Definitely. All right. Well, as I mentioned, you know, this podcast aims to help CMOs and future C-suite leaders understand how marketing can drive business transformation. So we'd love for you to share your advice for how to nurture and develop collaborative partnerships with other members of the C-suite. Well, I was very lucky at Shake Shack because when I came in, you know, when you most of Shake Shack is founded by restaurateurs that had been here for quite a long time. And you're always nervous when you come in, especially as the first ever CMO of, wow, how are these folks going to receive me? I'm not a restaurateur, even though my first job in Knoxville, Tennessee was at an Olive Garden when I was 15 years old. And I'd worked in restaurants through high school and college, but I was not a restaurateur by trade this culture really embraced a different point of view and saying anyone that can help us scale this business, we are all for. We know what we know. We know restaurants, we know food, we know retail, but we don't necessarily know scaling at a high level. And that's where I had had that experience over my career and was able to really bring a lot there. So one is my advice is always find people that are open to your point of view and your experience to really grow the business. Because this even goes back to your earlier question a little bit is what founders tend to have the most trouble with out of, after they get out of venture stage is scale, is scaling the business once they've found product market fit. Because they were good at building that idea and getting that idea off the ground and getting people to accept it. But most of them don't have experience with how do I take this thing to the moon, which is a different skill set. And so that's where having a good, diverse group of leaders is really important that have both experienced scale and are just the um, nitty gritty entrepreneurs that great getting things done. One last and somewhat related question for you. What, what's the one leadership lesson that you've learned during the past year? Well, building relationships with the rest of the leadership team can't be overemphasized when you come into a business like this. And one of the things I saw is when this kind of thing happens, right? When stress is put on teams and people in leadership teams, 
you fall back on those relationships and you fall back on that culture you have built. You really see who you've hired. Do they have grit? Do they have resilience? Those things that you might sacrifice in a quickly growing company, when you're under pressure, you see people's true colors. And so all those decisions in the past come back to roost. And my experience is hire for grit, hire for resiliency, build relationships with your peers, close relationships with the people that you work with and for, and for and who work for you, that pays off in spades later. And that's something I learned over and over. I knew it from before, but I've kept learning it over the last year. All right. Well, unfortunately, we are out of time. Thank you, Jay. This has been a tremendously insightful conversation. And for those of us providing commentary around businesses and brands and marketing today, the Shake Shack story is truly an inspirational one. And we're really grateful that you took out some time to spend with us, walking us through your experience over the course of the last 12 months. Thanks again. Toby, it's been great to watch you guys pivot as well, because you're in a business that was upended in many ways. And so I've loved watching you guys adapt and looking forward to where that goes in the future also. We appreciate it. Thanks, Jay. Thanks, Toby. Thanks for listening to The Business of Marketing, brought to you by Adweek and presented in partnership with SAP. The Business of Marketing is produced by Al Manorino. The executive producer is Brian Leddy. Support also provided by Erica Perry and Julian Gamboa. Please take a minute to subscribe and review our show. Your feedback means the world to us. Hey there, are you ready to elevate your personal brand or company? Meet Viral Growth, your one-stop shop for video content and audience building. Imagine growing your brand organically on social media without the hassle of editing videos for hours. With Viral Growth, it's a breeze. They handle the brainstorming, scripting, and editing while you simply just hit record. And don't worry about your niche. They cater to everyone, from business and marketing to health and wellness. Are you ready to make waves in the social media realm? Visit viralgrowth.io and use code ADWEEK, that's A-D-W-E-E-K, all lowercase, and get 10% off your plan. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.